0: It's got a soul. This here old farm. It falls asleep inside my arms. We walk the fields under the stars. for love is here at Goldshaw
1: Farms. Welcome to Goldshaw Farm. I'm your host, Morgan Gold. Each episode on our podcast, we bring you stories of people who are homesteading, farming, and chasing their dreams. And right now, I am sitting in an office building about 40 miles from our farm. Um, I have a job that I sometimes go work uh, that's off-farm. It's really our primary source of income for both Allison and me. The money we make from the farm is not enough to sustain us. The money we make from the farm is not enough to support the capital investments that that we want to make in our farm. And because of that, I work an off-farm job. You know, I I don't necessarily mind the work. I actually really like the people I work with. But, you know, my long-term dream, longer, longer longer-term dream is to one day be able to farm full-time, to be able to have a sustainable farm that's sustainable uh, from an environmental perspective, that's sustainable from an emotional perspective, and, and my wife Allison and I are burning ourselves out trying to run it, and sustainable from an economic perspective. That to me is my ultimate personal dream. And so I'm constantly on the lookout for stories of small farms that are able to meet that, that sustainable criteria on three different levels. And, you know, to be honest, a lot of the small farms and small farmers I know aren't able to make those measures work, all three of them at once. I, I know a number of small farmers who are under tremendous financial strain and are, are either losing money or barely scraping by. I know a number of farmers who are struggling from an you know, a, a amount of work that they have to contend with and all the stuff that they have going on. And it, it's really difficult for them. And so I I sometimes wonder, is it actually possible to make it all work? And recently, I read a book called The New Farm by a guy by the name of Brent Preston. And in that book, Brent, who is a farmer, who has a small farm that is financially successful and is something that's sustainable for both him and his wife, Gillian, uh, he's been doing this for a number of years. And When he first actually left a white-collar job in Toronto to go move out into the middle of nowhere, he didn't have any sort of agricultural experience of of significance. He and his wife spent several years trying to build up their farm. Uh, They struggled and lost money in the early years, and it wasn't until, I don't know, year five or six that they actually started to turn a reasonable profit, and in his book he really goes through his entire story and for someone like me this was like wow spot on i mean i am right in the demographic for this book this guy is living my dream right now so i figured it would be great to sit down and have a conversation with brent um, and learn a lot more about the new farm so let's have a conversation with brent eh?
0: were living uh, in the city in in downtown Toronto uh, with two young kids in the sort of early 2000s and had this vague notion that, that things just weren't really heading in the right direction in terms of the environment and climate and human health and all sorts of big issues. So we bought a farm and moved to the farm without a clear idea of how that was going to sort of get us closer to figuring out what we should do about all these big issues uh, we kind of had a vague notion that we wanted to get out of the city, but, and we needed a big change, but we didn't really know what we were going to do. So it wasn't until we had been living on the farm for about a year and a half that we actually visited a small farm, small diversified farm in Quebec. Uh, and that was the day that it clicked. That was the, you know, we had been, all these ideas about farming and growing food and everything had been ruminating in our heads for, since we had moved to the farm. But the idea of making it a business and making it our living didn't, didn't coalesce until we visited a farm that sort of illustrated what the potential was in terms of having a small-scale, diversified farm that serves the local market.
1: One of the things I know in your book you've talked a lot about is that you personally see farming as a very political act. Can, can you explain that for me?
0: All the work I've done in the past before I started farming was political in one way or another. I worked in international development overseas, I worked on, uh, for, on political development projects and, uh, working in new democracies to try to strengthen civil organizations and political parties and that sort of thing. And I worked as a journalist. Uh, the, the, the sort of small P politics has been in my life from the beginning. So when we started farming, we saw farming as a means of addressing those big problems that I was talking about, about, uh, specifically. Primarily climate change, but also environmental degradation. Uh, that, that all the problems we see with chronic disease and human health. Uh, so we we started farming with a mission to to sort of prove that farming on a small scale for the local market uh, could be is viable in every sense of the term. It's economically viable. It's uh, it's viable in terms of uh, maintaining our environment, addressing climate change. Uh, feeding people really healthy food. So we had this, this, uh, political agenda to prove this model from the beginning when we started farming.
1: And, and as you start on that course to begin farming, you know, what are the things that you're doing? I mean, you didn't grow up on a farm. You didn't have necessarily an agricultural background. Are you reading books, apprenticing? How, how do you go about starting the farm?
0: <laughs> well, we, uh, we did, uh, a shocking, shockingly small amount of preparation uh in hindsight we should have apprenticed on another farm and and do, done that kind of uh groundwork but we just dove right into it so we read a lot of books uh we talked to uh especially in the early days talked to a lot of other farmers the small scale ecological farming community in ontario is is very tight and very generous uh With their knowledge, so we learned a lot from other farmers, but it was primarily trial and error is is how we learned to do what we do.
1: One of the things in your book you talk a lot about is is sort of the uh, small farm orthodoxy, right? You know, kind of the lessons of Elliot Coleman and others and the things that small farms are typically supposed to do. That's how you began farming, right?
0: We didn't really identify this small farm orthodoxy until later on, but we started out assuming that we were going to Organically, that we were going to sell direct to consumers through a CSA in the farmers market, uh, that we were going to grow, grow a really wide diversity of vegetables, uh, that we were going to have animals on the farm. Uh, you know, we sort of followed the typical market garden prescription of how you how you start a small sustainable sustainable farm.
1: I, I know as, as I've been trying to start our farm here, too, that's been one of the, the traps I've fallen into of, of saying, well, you know, this is what the book's saying, and you know, this is how Joel Salatin does it, and, and kind of getting into that trap, but then not stepping back and saying, well, does that work for my context? Um, how did you guys start to do that where you stepped back and, and took that wider view to say what would work for you specifically?
0: Well, for us, it, for us it became clear early on That not all of the, not all of the sort of prescriptions in this so-called small farm orthodoxy was going to work for us. The first, the first problem we had was that we're, we're up on top of the Niagara escarpment. So we're, we're, for Ontario, we're fairly high elevation, very exposed, very windy. We have a really short growing season. We don't get a lot of heat units. It's, uh, it's, you know, we've had frost every month of the year except, uh, July. So, we realized right away that growing a really wide diversity of stuff was going to be difficult, especially things that were, that like a lot of heat. Um, so that was the first kind of inclination that that uh, it might not work for us. But really, it was it was the financial aspect of it. It was it was farming for a couple of years and looking at our uh, at our income and our expenses and realizing that 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 model selling just the farmer's market or doing a csa we didn't see a path to profitability for our farm uh so that was that was the the first real wake-up call to us to say we're gonna have to be creative and and design a farming system that works for our personality for our microclimate for our markets uh you know that we're gonna have to you know tailor make this farming plan to suit our very, very specific circumstances if we're going to actually make money doing it.
1: Right. And and now your farm, for, for people who are listening, is, is called The New Farm. Your book is also called The New Farm. Um, what would you say are the tenets of, of The New Farm?
0: Well, our model sort of in a nutshell is that we are 100% wholesale, so we don't do, we don't do any direct-to-consumer sales. Uh, that we are uh, specialized in terms of the the crops that we produce so we do the most of our money we get from cut wash salads uh, so we also do uh, greenhouse cucumbers we do some specialty potatoes and some beets uh, but but really um, cut salads and cucumbers are, are the biggest um, portion of our business um, and we we focus on really really high quality so, uh, most of our sales go to restaurants. So we're dealing with chefs all over southern Ontario, um, primarily in Toronto. Uh, and we, we produce very, very high quality, consistent product. So I, I think that the sort of hallmarks of our model are wholesale, uh, consistency, quality, and specialization.
1: And and for folks who might be out there listening to to this and, and saying, well, you know, I'm I've got my own small farm right now and I'm struggling a little bit, you know, could you could you explain how you got to that path of going from, you know, growing everything from Kohlrabi on down to a really focused set of crops that, that you have today?
0: Yeah, I think I think that the big lesson that we learned is that if you change one aspect of your farm system that it has repercussions for every other aspect of your farming system. So we started out, uh, as you said, growing everything you can imagine, the full range of all the heirloom vegetables. And we realized that it, in our, we started out selling primarily in the farmer's market in our, in our local village of Cremor, which is a great market. Uh, but we realized that certain things didn't sell very well. Uh, and so we'd eventually eliminate those things from our mix. And then we realized there were certain things that grew really, really well and that we could grow at larger scale. And so we started increasing those things. Um, but then we we uh, we realized that if we were going to serve, we realized that uh, we could sell to restaurants through a wholesaler for prices that weren't hugely different from the prices we were getting in the farmer's market.
1: And we realized,
0: hey, there's way more, way less labor in producing a five pound bin of salad for a restaurant than in selling, uh, you know, ten half pound bags of salad at the farmer's market. Uh, but as we, as we became more specialized, uh, we realized that our labor model, because after a few years we started, uh, having unpaid interns on our farm as our pri- primary source of labor, we realized that, uh, interns we're mostly interested in learning how to farm uh, for a direct market uh, in the farmer's market or CSA. They wanted to learn to grow a really wide variety of vegetables. They definitely did not want to spend six hours a day cutting salad. So as we became more specialized, we realized we've got to change our labor model as well. So we started hiring labor. Uh, so it was a gradual evolution. And as we tweaked each aspect of the farm, uh, the other other parts of it had to change in response, and that's how we eventually evolved to the model that we got to today. It, it happened over you know a, a number of years.
1: Now, now as you're taking that time to to find that model, and make that model work, and you, and you did a nice job describing this in your book, right? Where you know you're struggling your first several years, you're you're not turning a profit. Then you start to make just a, a very meager profit that really isn't even enough to live on until you ultimately get to the place where you're at today where it's 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 successful and sustainable how, how how do you how do you go through those lean years how do you whether make it work financially make it work personally like how do you persevere through that
0: i, I think that the what we always say to new farmers is uh, whether you like it or not farming is a is a capital intensive business so if you don't have the capital to start that business or don't have the means of supporting yourself while you lose money for the first several years of your business, then you shouldn't get into farming. It's, it's unfortunate, but true. So we had some capital having come, come to farming as a second career. You know, we sold our house in Toronto, so we had some money to start the business, but then um, Gillian, my wife primarily worked off farm. I did some off farm work, but she worked off farm for the first Five years that we that we uh, ran the business, not full time, but uh, she could do. She, luckily, she could do some consulting work off farm uh, in her in her old line of work while we started the business. So, farming in that way is no different than any other uh, entrepreneurial business. You have to assume that you're going to lose money for at least several years when you start. Uh, you always want to make sure you you can see a path to profitability, and that path can be pretty long sometimes. So. We we you know we sunk our entire life savings into the business and Gillian worked for five years while we were farming uh, to make it work financially. On the, the personal side of things, that to me is the biggest challenge. And especially if you're working with your spouse, um, the the biggest threat to our business uh, in the first five years was that Gillian and I would split up because it was it was really really stressful for a long time. So that I think is just is just um, making sure that you're on the same page, managing expectations, uh, having really good communication. Uh, you know all the things you need to make a relationship work when you're not running a business together are, are even more important when you are.
1: Yeah, gosh, you know, it's. I will say it's really heartening to hear that. So, so I'm in this situation right now where I'm just a little bit shy of my first full year uh, with our farm. Um, you know, kind of gutting through it, trying to find a business model that works, working a full-time job off farm to to make the money side of it work, and so yeah, to hear that it's it's it it does take that time and it does take that patience to ramp up is it, it's heartening.
0: Yeah, and and I think I think you have to be clear of what your goals are. So. We, Gillian and I decided from the very beginning that we wanted a farm business that would fully support our family. We did not want to, neither of us wanted to work off farm. Uh, but you know, different, different couples or different individuals are going to have different goals about what they want to get out of their farm financially. A lot of people are satisfied to have a farm business that, that requires off farm income in order to make ends meet, uh, in perpetuity. Uh, but, but, there's a lot of people also who get into that situation where that's not really what they want. So I think it's always important if, you, if you're losing money on your farm, uh, either make sure you're okay with that or make sure that you have some sort of path to profitability that you can see the route that will get you to where you wanna be financially uh, because just doing the same thing over and over again every year and expecting things to change when you're not making money is, is not necessarily a good strategy.
1: <laughs> that's some good advice. You, you mentioned earlier you had to make a, a shift in your labor strategy if you really wanted to become successful, and you, you talk about it in the book about that being one of the key tipping points for you guys. Can can you describe about sort of how you go about that path from from intern labor to where you are today?
0: Yeah. So so we got to the point where we had about um, usually around seven or eight uh, interns working for us for the full season. Um. But we, we only ever had one intern that came back for a second season. So we're dealing with a brand new labor force every summer and almost all of whom had no experience working on a farm and, and had very little experience doing any kind of physical labor.
1: So we realized
0: that we were spending, we we weren't spending a lot of money hiring interns because we weren't paying them, but we were spending a lot of time uh and energy training them and supervising them and we realized that that wasn't going to get us where we wanted to be financially it was also as i said constraining our ability to uh to fit our farm into the market that we wanted to serve so in in canada we have a, a seasonal agricultural workers program that's fairly tightly regulated by the government that allows us to legally bring in Uh, workers from Mexico, there's a few countries involved, but we brought, uh, guys in from Mexico. And, uh, we have, that was seven years ago. Uh, we started out with four guys, three of whom are still with us after seven years. Uh, Luis Schwen and Juan Carlos, who are, who are, um, just incredible employees and really, really, uh, wonderful people. And we, um, we now, we now farm with a crew of seven full-time seasonal workers, all of whom uh, come up from Mexico.
1: Cultivating that team and really having the right people in the right roles has been an important part of what's given you that chance to scale up, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we, we fairly early on instituted a, a profit sharing scheme with our workers. Uh, so they get a, they get a big bonus at the end of the season. Uh, we try really hard to have, uh, the farm be a safe, fun, fair place to work. Um, we, you know, we, we go, we do a lot of things socially with our crew. We, we, uh, we bought a van so that they had, um, they had, uh, transport and could have a life outside of the farm. Uh, we, we have a really, really nice, um, housing for them, uh, just, uh, down the road from the farm. So I, I, I feel, I'm sure that this is, I haven't run a lot of different kinds of businesses, but I'm sure this is the same in every business that if you have, an engaged, well, fairly compensated, uh, happy workforce—that your your business is going to be more successful. So that's that's what we really strive for, especially given the fact that these guys are sacrificing sacrificing a huge amount to leave their families for six months of the year and come and work for us. It's a hard, hard way to make a living. So we want to make sure that it's as fair as it can possibly be, uh, and that they're they really feel invested in the farm invested in our mission of producing really high quality food sustainably. And they, they very much are.
1: Now, are you planning on expanding the team out and growing larger with your farm?
0: Well, we've, we've resisted the, the um, growth imperative for a long time. I think, I think that there's a, an assumption with all businesses that, that they grow and that uh, if they don't grow, they're going to die. Um, And we've we've tried to resist that, up until this point, because we, we like the scale that our farm is at. It works. We're profitable. We can, we make a decent living. Uh, we don't have an unmanageable number of people, uh, to deal with. And we do, you know, we try to do everything we can on the farm by hand. So we, we resist mechanization wherever possible. So, uh, we don't, we don't necessarily want a crew of 20 people and, and the management headaches that that involves. Uh, but we're, we're, um, and, and that's served us really well for the past few years. It's allowed to, us to focus on other things, things like writing a book, uh, being more active in speaking and, and going to conferences and that sort of thing. Uh, but we're now at the phase where we are going to uh, tr- start to bring on some more farmers as as uh, partners in the business to add some more lines of business uh, to what we do. And, and uh, we sort of have a four or five year plan looking forward where we're going to uh, try to try to expand the farm a little bit because we want to expand our input, and we're we're so excited now about this uh, revolution in regenerative uh, agriculture and all the new techniques that are being developed um, to to grow food even more sustainably and to sequester carbon in the soil. So we want to we want to sort of build out that model in the future.
1: Mm. Is that like a, a a branding and licensing type of situation? Is that uh True partnerships, like what? What sort of we're, expansion we're, is it? We're,
0: yeah, we're still we'll, we're still figuring that out. You know, for example, the first thing that we're going to do is start grazing on our farm. We're we're going to get some cattle and and start uh, regenerative grazing um, to help manage our cover crops and our vegetable ground, but also to use that we've we've got a hundred acre farm and we're growing vegetables on twenty of that. So we've got lots of uh, old pasture that we could rehabilitate and, and start. Producing beef, which is a, you know, good valuable product that we can add to our line, but also, uh, improving the quality of our soil, uh, for our vegetable ground and in our, in our pasture land. Uh, so if, as we build that out and, and, test that model and figure out if that's something that's going to be economically viable and beneficial to our farm, then we're, we'll bring on, uh, hopefully a young farmer uh, to To run that part of the business, and the idea is that over time is to allow them to build equity in the larger uh, new farm business, to have some autonomy in running that section of the business, but to be under our brand and our umbrella and part of the part of the quote unquote company. Um, and that maybe in the future, in ten or fifteen years, when Gillian and I are ready to retire, we'll have a group of partner farmers working in the business who will then be able to take over the operation and allow it to continue past the time when we're going to be working.
1: So so it's it's both expansion but also succession planning.
0: Um, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um as as you think about this book that you released and, and for folks who are listening, I really encourage you to go out and, and either, you know, buy a copy or listen to the audio book or whatever. Because i I know I personally took away a lot. What what made you want to sit down and actually write that book?
0: Really, it's that book is part of the political mission of our farm. So, you know, about and I describe this in the book, but about four or five years ago, we we reached that point where where Gillian and I realized that we were we were profitable. We had a, a, a model that worked. We had paid off all of our debt, and the, the choice was: do we continue the rapid up? you know, uh, ramp up of growth that we had been, been on for the, the first sort of six or seven years of our farm, eight years of our farm, or do we step back and, and do other things that are also important to us? And we, we chose the latter. And, and part of that was to spread uh, the word that this kind of agriculture works, that farming on a small scale for the local market, organically, it's not a niche. It's not a. It's not a fad. It's not a hobby. It's a real viable business model. It's a. Way, it's a. And it's also a really satisfying and meaningful way of life. So we wanted to encourage people who are thinking about getting into farming that to, to really take a look at it and realize that this is a profession that smart, motivated, educated, entrepreneurial people should really consider because it's it's hugely gratifying. And it's also a, a, a great business. So the book is, is a, is a, you know, I try to, to make it as, um, entertaining as possible to have a good story. But the message is this kind of farming is real and that it's something that we need to expand and build out if we're going to address the, the big, big problems that we face, uh, as a society and as humanity.
1: When you think about that expansion, it, you know, just to ask you to try to project out, say, 10 years down the road, what would you anticipate that expansion looking like?
0: Uh, well, there's there's what I hope it'll look like and what I anticipate it'll look like. You know, I, I say in the book there's, a, there's an uh, egg farmer who we buy uh, organic feed from named Gerald Peckman who told me years ago that, you know, uh, there's a small part of agriculture moving in the right direction, but the rest of it is hurtling in the opposite direction as fast as it can. So we see this in our community that there are more and more small farmers who are trying to farm differently, farm in a way that's, that, that actually enhances the environment, that sequesters carbon, that feeds people really healthy, nutrient-dense food. But all of the conventional farmers in our area are getting bigger They're getting more mechanized. They're using more inputs. So my hope is that, uh, the big, the big guys will look at what we're doing and realize that we're making money, that we're building the the health of our soil, that, that we'll continue to see the, the leaching over of, of techniques like cover cropping, um, and, uh, you know, intensive rotational grazing. Um, that those techniques will continue to leach over from the, the sustainable farm community to the conventional farm community and that there'll be more and more farmers, uh, at our scale who are, who are growing for local markets, uh, and really pushing the, the boundaries on, on, uh, on regenerative agriculture.
1: Mm awesome i I hope it goes that way too yeah so so i guess last thing you know for for folks who are out there listening and who might have those office jobs and and live in life in a cubicle today but you know read a book like yours and see all the opportunity and potential to both live a, a, a better lifestyle as well as try to make a difference in the world what advice would you have for them
0: well i mean my advice is always go for it you know um there, I've, I've received quite a number of uh, emails from people who've read the book, who say, you know, I, I've been thinking about it for years, and I, I just, I've always wanted to farm, and I read your book, and I've decided I'm going to quit my job as a lawyer, and I'm, I'm buying a piece of property, and I always feel this little pang of guilt, i like, oh shit, man, that's it's not easy, um, but uh, but but honestly we need more farmers. I mean, I think everyone in this movement recognizes that if we're going to have an impact, if we're going to make a difference, we need a lot more people doing this. So I think if you, if you have a good plan, if you have a a real desire to dive into not just the growing side, but the selling side, because that's equally important. You need to have, I, I really strongly believe you need to have a really solid business plan in addition to a, a plan on how to, how to actually grow the stuff you're going to sell. Uh, and you have that desire to make a difference. It's a fantastic way to have a hands on role in fixing these huge intractable problems that are keeping everyone awake at night. Uh, and the, the market is large and growing. We have, we've expanded, you know, we expanded for, for years and years growing every year, doubling the amount of produce, produce we are putting out and we've, uh, we've always found people who want to buy it. So I, th- I think as more consumers understand the potential of regenerative agriculture to to address climate change uh, and to provide them with really, really high nutrient density food, there's going to be just more and more demand for this kind of food. So uh, now's the time.
1: I hope you guys enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed having it. I got so much from that conversation with Brent. You know, I got a ton from just reading his book, and I got even more from from just sitting down and talking with him. So I really appreciate the fact that Brent took the time to have that conversation. You guys should all run out right now and buy a copy of the New Farm. Uh, it's a book that I. I I can't recommend high enough for you. You will learn a lot of good lessons. Plus, Brent's just a good storyteller too, so it's a, it's an enjoyable read. You can either you know get get the Kindle version or you know buy a hard copy, or you know I actually listen to the audiobook. Whatever format you go for, you won't be disappointed. It's definitely worth doing. Um, so I encourage you to check it out, and hope you you enjoy it as much as I do. And and if you do, let me know. You can hit me up on Twitter, uh, Gold at Goldshaw Farm. And uh, let me know what you think of the book. Also, I just wanted to let you guys know, uh, last week I mentioned that we had some predator attacks on our farm, and several of the ducks were injured, and one of them was killed. Well, actually, after I recorded that podcast, we had another predator attack, and so uh, right now, we're down three ducks. Uh, all of the ducks are, are pretty much injured at this point. They're recovering. If you guys want to get more information and more updates about the situation, uh, definitely go check out our YouTube channel. Uh, it's it, Just look for Goldshaw Farm on YouTube and you'll find it. Uh, we try to put out two videos a week. It gives you updates on what we're trying to do here with our farm as we try to create that sustainable farm in Vermont. Um, and that's that's about it. Um, definitely keep writing those reviews. Keep sharing this podcast with your friends. It's so cool to see how we keep growing week after week. You know, when I first started this thing, I thought this was just going to be, you know, just a tiny, tiny little thing. But it seems like it's really catching on. And I know that the reason it's catching on, it's because people like you are listening and people like you are sharing this podcast and you're writing reviews and you're subscribing. And, and so I'm just eternally grateful for that and so thank you very much and uh, I'm excited to see this thing to keep growing if you guys have suggestions on potential guests or want to learn more? I, I encourage you to join the Goldshaw Farm Podcast Facebook group. Uh, we've got a lot of folks who are in there now. We're talking about upcoming shows. You know, even for example, some of the questions I asked Brent in this interview today were generated by folks in in the Facebook group. So if you want to participate and be become part of something here, uh, definitely check it out. It's all free. So I hope you enjoy it. And that's really all I've got for you this week. We will be back very soon with another story about homesteading, farming, and chasing your dreams. And with that I will ask my good friend, Mr. Keith Pierce to play our theme song. It's got a soul This here old farm It falls asleep
0: Inside my arms We work the fields Under the stars The loving here at Gold Shop Farms. A well, city life yet yeah, had its charms. But we would dream of the fields under the stars. I fall asleep inside its arms. The love is here at Gold Shop Farms. The love is here at Gold Shop Farms.